We pointed out that 2 Timothy is an epistle that addresses the degradation of the church. And according to its general subject, uh, this book provides an inoculation against the spreading of the decline. But we have emphasized that the character of 2 Timothy is recovery. It is, in essence, a New Testament recovery book because it speaks of recovery in the midst of degradation. And Timothy and Paul and Onesimus and Luke and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart are on the line of recovery. When we come to chapter 4, I want to point out that 2 Timothy also is concerned with the overcomer. And in this chapter in particular, we see Paul as the overcomer. The note on Onesimus in chapter 1 indicates that he was an overcomer. And Timothy, we believe, is on the same line. Now, Paul is a pattern of all those who believe. This is 1 Corinthians 1.16. And according to the pattern, we cannot have the full assurance that we are overcomers until the end. Like you're running the Ironman triathlon. Actually, you're not just running it, you're swimming it, biking it, and running it. And I was watching a documentary on that a few years ago. And if my understanding is correct, if you are running and you, and you fall, you cannot be assisted to get up. You have to get up on your own. And one female runner fell and collapsed uh, just a few hundred yards before the finish line. And she could not get up, and she was not allowed to receive help. And so it would not be good for her while she's swimming. I don't know how far, man, I'm an overcomer. Uh, you're an overcomer wannabe. That's good. And while you're biking 112 miles or whatever it is, you may say, in a sense, I'm an overcomer by aspiration. While you're running your marathon, uh, you can say by aspiration, I'm an overcomer. But in fact, she wasn't an overcomer because she didn't finish the course. And so if we just uh, kind of walk around confident that we are overcomers, th this is really a serious mistake. You're setting yourself up for a fall. Rather, if you have the aspiration, you know, I, I long to be, I look to the Lord to grant me this mercy. But to have any kind of self-assurance of this is not wise. Uh, an email was forwarded to me uh, by, by one of the co-workers. It was sent to him by a brother, I guess living somewhere in Oregon, off on his own. And this dear brother simply does not have a sound mind. He was just proclaiming how uh, he is part of the man-child and he is living this overcoming life. and He is getting fresh revelation from the Lord, and you just feel sorry for such a deluded person. A brother Lee for years 
had on the wall of his study a painting that was presented to him after one of the trainings. It showed some wood burning in a fire, and underneath was the verse from 1 Corinthians 3 about if anyone's work passes through the fire, you know, he'll be receive a reward. If not, he'll be saved through fire. And, and Brother Lee himself did not proceed on the assumption that, oh, I, I'm an overcomer, all the rest of the saints, they're pretty, they're defeated. He, he didn't have this kind of attitude. Rather, he was in fear and trembling that he would be kept faithful to the end, and he was. So we should not be discouraged from aspiring to be the overcomers. We should expect in the sense of hope to be overcomers, but we should not define ourselves prematurely into overcoming because most of us have a long way to go and we're capable of anything. Okay, if Demas can forsake Paul, abandon Paul, then we may, maybe 15, 20 years from now, something happens and we're just blown away and, and we're gone. So we need the Lord's mercy to preserve us. I'll come to this again when we reach the verse, but I want to give you uh, a definition of an overcomer that you may not have heard before. But I, I love this matter very much. I find it encouraging, motivating, and comforting. An overcomer is a believer who finishes the course. Paul said um, in verse 7, I have finished the course. Uh, it's like a relay race in track that no one runs the entire race. You run that part measured out for you to run. In Acts, Paul said, I do not count my soul life dear to myself that I may finish the course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus. Uh, the reason this is so precious to me is that it gives us a proper personal motivation within the corporate context of the church life in the Lord's recovery. According to Revelation 2 and 3, the Lord says, to him who overcomes. He doesn't say, to them who overcome. The first fruit is corporate, the man-child is corporate, the bride is corporate, but these corporate entities are composed of persons who personally overcome. And the call by the Lord himself in Revelation 2 and 3 is to, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. It's mentioned in the singular. And so we, it reminds us we need to have a personal pursuing of the Lord and exercise before the Lord. Okay, in the same principle, each one of you and each one of us has a course measured out by God. And that course is uniquely your portion. And if you're an overcomer, you just start running, and then you finish the course, and that's it. If you finish the course, you're not distracted, you don't fall down not to arise. You may fall down, 
I've fallen down a number of times. Then you get up and start running again. You don't have to go back, you know, do not pass, go, do not collect 200, go directly to jail. You don't have to go all the way back because you forgot to say, Mother may I, or Simon says. You get up from wherever you are and go on, okay? Remember Micah chapter 7, do not rejoice against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise again. And the fact is you're still running. Some of you have been distracted. Some of you have been defeated. But you're running this morning. Congratulations. Okay? Just keep, keep it up. This is not a sprint, which is a comfort to flat-footed fellows like me who couldn't sprint if their life depended on it. But to keep plodding along, okay, maybe that, that's uh, something by the Lord's grace I can do. Now, uh, I want to insert something here that may be a comfort to you uh, at some time in the future. It's not a question of how long we live. It's a question of whether we finish our course. When an overcomer finishes the course, God takes him or her. And because we're human, we always grieve over any loss, especially over an unexpected and what we sincerely regard as a premature loss. And we are not opening to the enemy for anything premature. But for someone to have a course laid out by God and to run that triumphantly and then to be taken, that is a glory. That is a glory. And, you know, you think of Hezekiah. Well, I'll, I'll cause you to think about Hezekiah. He was a pretty good king, quite a faithful king. Then he got real sick. And understandably, he got depressed and discouraged. And he prayed for the Lord to lengthen his life. The Lord gave him 15 more years. And they were not good years. And even at the end, it was prophesied that the Babylonians would come and take things away and even take his children away. And Hezekiah ended up being quite selfish. He said, well, at least it'll be peace in my days. That is not very pleasant. It actually might have been better for him to have gone to the Lord when he was in victory. Okay, I'm not saying it's good to have a short life. Okay? I'm saying we have to consider human life according to God's view. If the Lord measures out a course, you run it like Stephen ran it. And he went to the Lord as an overcomer. We are told in the book of Acts about John the Baptist's finishing his course. And John did not live to the age of the Apostle John. His course was very definite 
and it had to be limited and the Lord did not perform a miracle to prevent what happened to him. He said, John, don't be offended in me. I'm not going to do anything to get you out of prison. But John was finishing his course. James, the brother of John, he finished his course in Acts 12. And the Lord said to them, remember, when they were quite ambitious and the mother was behind the scene, as mothers sometimes are, you know, my, my two boys, you know, I want my two boys on your right and your left in the kingdom. The Lord said, can you drink of my cup and be baptized with my baptism? They said, we're able. And he said, you will drink my cup and be baptized with my baptism. Both refer to participating in his death but to sit on my right, on my left, is not for me to give. It's for those prepared by the Father. Well, what happened? Two brothers, one martyred in Acts chapter 12. The other was destined to live into his 90s. Think that's easy? John is on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He lives beyond the destruction of Jerusalem, beyond the martyrdom of Paul and Peter and his own brother. in uh, those that are older like this, there can just be a longing just to have it all over. There's just one suffering after another. But the Lord caused John to live with an if. I'm referring to John 21, if he remains until I come, what is that to you? So John's course had to be very long. He did not come into prominence in the ministry until he was very old because his portion was not to establish and not to build up directly, but to mend. And so the Lord had to, to keep him for quite a period of time. And he, and he had to live with this possibility, I may not die. See, the brothers did not give accurate reports even in the beginning. In John 21, it says, see, the brothers started to say, this, this disciple would not die. Then he had to say, the Lord did not say that he would not die. He said, if I will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? John 21 is a very good illustration of the course. Peter and John are serving together in Acts, right? And the Lord prophesies to Peter, when you are old, another will gird you and carry where you do not wish to go. And he prophesied by what death he would glorify God. So Peter got the word. And then often when we get a word, we assume everyone should get the same word that we got. <clears throat> we got the Lord's leading, so I guess everyone's going to be girded where they, and carried where they don't want to go and glorify God by dying. And so Peter asks about John, what about this man? A and the Lord said, if I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Well, we may say no fair. <laughs> what, what about equality? What about one for all and all for one? How about we all get martyred or we all stay to be raptured? And the Lord said, that's not the way it is. Peter is Peter. He's not John. And you are you. You're not somebody else. 
then your function is your function, not someone else's function. There's of no profit for you to compare yourself with others or want to be others or to think that today I'm a toe, tomorrow I'm an eye. No, when BK is born, baby Kangas, you'll have five toes on each foot, unless I'm in for a big surprise. And those little toes, when the body grows to adulthood, they're going to be adult toes. So we may have this delusion, well, I start out as a toe, but I will end up as an eye. You start as a toe, you finish as a toe. You begin as a toe, you end as a toe. Because that's the member you are. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have my, my two big toes to help me stand up. Okay? I'm glad I have my two thumbs so I can tie my shoes. And so, to me, this is very, very personal. So Peter has his course, and John has his course. Some will be martyred. Some will finish their course earlier. Some will just have to go on and on and on and on. They may wish that it's all over. They've been transformed already. They're mature already. They're ready to be raptured. But the Lord will say, well, that's for you. For you, it would be very good. But you have to remain for the sake of the chosen. You have to remain for the sake of the recovery. I can't take you out of here. You have to stay, and you have to suffer, and you have to endure so that others will receive life through you and be perfected. And seeing this many years ago was not only a comfort to me, but a motivation to me. So I don't compete. I'm not competing with Dick Taylor, with Minoru Chen, with Benson Phillips, with Ed Marks, with anybody. How ridiculous. The members of my body do not compete with one another. We all have a course. And an overcomer keeps running, and you don't know when the end will come, but eventually the end does come, and then in principle the Lord takes you, and it's glorious, and you have the crown of righteousness. This is what I personally aspire to, uh, to finish my course. I can't finish your course. You can't finish my course. Let's not compare courses. And we don't have a roadmap. You can't get on a computer and get a whole printout for the whole thing. You don't know what's around the bend. You don't know what's happening next week. There's, I don't say there's never any kind of intuitive insight concerning our future, but it's very, very limited. Uh, but we have a course. And Paul could say to Timothy, I finished. And that becomes a perfecting word, Timothy. You finish. And Timothy didn't write any part of the Bible. We don't know what he did. We don't know how he ended. So this chapter is very precious regarding the overcomer and the kingdom reward. And as we read it, we want to have a few things in front of us. One is the kingdom and the reward, and the other is the overcoming. And then we will see at the end, it's the Lord with our spirit and the grace with us. Now in verse 1, Paul solemnly charges Timothy. This is quite something. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. On the one hand, there's this organic, intimate family relationship. On the other hand, Paul can speak administratively as an apostle, as the leading one in the work, and he didn't give advice to Timothy. He solemnly charged him before God. And in 1 Timothy, you also have charges before the elect angels. I charge you. I commission you. In view of the Lord's coming as a judge and by his appearing in his kingdom, Timothy, proclaim the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convict, rebuke, re exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now, I'm not going to give you such a charge. I do not have that position. I am not Paul in prison, and you are Timothy wannabes. You're not yet Timothy, so don't go down rebuking, exhorting. Okay, teaching is all right, and proclaiming the word, but I would, I would suggest uh, how about you not do much rebuking for a while, okay? Um, and exhorting. But, but Timothy does not have the option of just being a quiet, withdrawn person, regardless of his disposition. The time does not allow it. Verse 3 explains, for the time will come when they will not tolerate healthy teaching. This they has to refer again to the general situation among professing Christians in the great house. They won't tolerate healthy teaching. Uh, the Christian books clubs won't feature these books. The Christian bookstores will not want to show these titles. If it's healthy teaching that ministers the life of God to people for God's economy, they won't tolerate it. They have their own preference, but according to their own lusts, they will heap up to themselves teachers. So religious people can have lusts for certain kind of teachers having itching ears. And so they want someone to come and have a seminar, have a conference, just scratch my ears, just tickle my ears. Okay? Don't, don't, don't bring this stuff from the recovery version. Don't bring this cultic teaching about God's economy. We don't want to hear that. Uh, we, we, we want some very uh, comforting teaching. Our ears are itching. So we'll pay you handsomely. We'll get you a first-class ticket, put you up in a five-star hotel, and you just come and scratch our ears. We like this. We want this. But, but oh, don't talk dispensational punishment. Wait, wait. Kingdom reward, outer darkness. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a wait. What are you talking about? It's all by grace, man. We're all going to be raptured before the tribulation, right, regardless of how we're living. I'm, someone's gambling at one of the tables in Las Vegas, and... The rapture call comes and he's gone. The rapture call comes and he keeps gambling. That's what's going to be the reality. <laughs> you, you know, so you have this bumper sticker, you know, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You've perhaps heard me suggest, don't take it literally. It's just an illustration. Maybe we should have one. In case of rapture, the driver of this car will have no idea that it took place. No, no kidding. But in Southern California especially, um, it, it can be quite a joke 
Uh, once I brought a new one to a ministry meeting, and we drove into the parking lot together, and he was shocked. You know what he said to me? There are no bumper stickers. We have bumper sticker theology, you know, in Southern California. I'll spare the North because you're more sophisticated <laughs> up here. <laughs> but you know, you got you know, you got the big chapel this and the big land that, and you just got bumper sticker religion to comfort you and itch your ears as you're stuck on the, on the traffic. You can just have your itching ears. You can look at this delightful bumper sticker. But when I, when I see a brother, though, with a bumper sticker that says, my brother is the pneumatic Christ, I like that. Right? But it says they will turn away their ears from the truth and will be turned aside to myth. So don't be shocked if a lot of Christians are like this. We will not tolerate this kind of teaching. We will heap up teachers to ourselves. We will turn away our ears from the truth. Remember when Timothy was speaking? Uh, sorry, when uh, Stephen was speaking, they eventually covered their ears. They covered their ears and picked up the stones. So, so don't be surprised. Don't take it personally. Don't go home and cry. Don't feel hurt and rejected. This is the way it is. Timothy has to kind of toughen up a little bit and realize you're going to proclaim the word and they're going to turn away their ears because they don't, want, they don't tolerate this. But you keep doing it anyway. Another but, okay? So this strengthens my suggestion. We should study the buts. But you, what? You be sober in all things. Y your mind has to be very clear. I would say the mind has to be cold even. The spirit hot, but the mind should not be hot. The mind should be cold and clear and very discerning. Be sober in all things. This is still part of the charge. Suffer evil. Do the work of an evangelist. You may not be an evangelist, but do the work of an evangelist. And I love this. Fully accomplish your ministry. Now, in the New Testament, there is one ministry. That's the corporate ministry. This we have to see. It's the basic truth. But, just as each member of the body has its function, each one of us <clears throat> has a personal ministry as part of the corporate ministry. If you talk about personal ministry without the governing vision of the corporate ministry, there'll be problems. But we shouldn't only talk about the corporate ministry without realizing that the brothers have their ministry. Paul wrote to the Colossians, and he said, Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And Paul said, fully accomplish your ministry. But he didn't say this in the beginning. Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace fully accomplish your ministry, signed Paul. Then Timothy is just primed to go off and carry out, fulfill his destiny, carry out his ministry. Timothy's ministry is defined by Paul's ministry. Timothy's ministry is the continuation of Paul's ministry. Nevertheless, it is Timothy's ministry. It is not wrong, rather it is noble to aspire 
to participate in the ministry. As long as you have the right understanding, it's not this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, this ministry. That's the cacophony. And I want to use that fancy word. That is the cacophony, the chaotic noise of today's religious situation. And the various ministries building up divisions. There is one ministry, this ministry, as the New Testament calls it. And within that, Paul has his ministry. Peter has his ministry. John has his ministry. Watchman Nee had his ministry. Brother Lee had his ministry. And I have my ministry. And eventually, you may have your ministry. Because if something isn't yours, if it's just the, it's hard to have the personal motivation. If it's just we're all running, it's hard to have the personal motivation. But if you realize you are running your course, you are fulfilling your portion of the one ministry, then it really matters. I mean, if you don't run it, no one else is going to run. If you don't fulfill it, no one else is going to fulfill it. If you don't do it, no one else can do it because no one else is you. I got a call from a sister that was down and depressed and wanted pity. And I wouldn't give her pity, I would give her fellowship because to give pity is to uh, strengthen the self. And she said, oh, the, I feel the church could go on without me. So I said, yes, sister, the church can go on without you. <laughs> Listen to the end. The church can go on without you, but not as well as with you. I mean, I could go on without my left ear, but I would rather have it. I would go on better with both. I would rather, I don't want to lose any part of my body. But no, I can't build up the sister and say, oh no, sister, you're the heart of the Lord's recovery. You're the brain. You're the liver. If you're not here, everything collapses. No, no I'm not going to uh, have this approach or neither to be hard and say, stop whining, stop pitying yourself. We'll go on with you or without you. You decide what you're going to do. There's no love in that. You know, sometimes you're down and then you, you express it and someone agrees with you and you're offended. <laughs> because you want people to say the opposite, you know. But we could have gone on without her. But it's much better to have all the members, just to have all the parts of our body. So we need you to be a normal body. So we need your part. So Paul told him, not only accomplish your ministry, fully accomplish it. Then he goes on to indicate that he was a drink offering, for I am already being poured out. And the time of my departure is at hand. In Philippians 2, he said the ba to the Philippians, your faith is like the basic offering, and I'm a drink offering poured out upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. So Paul was constituted with Christ as, as wine, and he viewed his martyrdom as the pouring out of his life as a drink offering. In his view, this was the climax of his ministry. You run the course, 
Eventually you'll get the crown, but before you get the crown, you pour out your life as a drink offering. What a glorious climax. You've given yourself for the ministry and God's economy. You finish your course, and then you pour out your being as a drink offering for God's satisfaction and for the saints' delight. And you don't pour it on the ground. You pour it upon the offering of the saints' faith, which has been constituted into them through your faithful ministry. This is how Brother Lee ended, as a drink offering. And he knew the time of my departure is at hand. You don't sense any fear. You don't sense any Hezekiah, if there's such a word, pleading, oh, please, give me more time. I don't want to go now. He realized, no, the time of my departure is at hand. And the word departure is quite significant. He's going on a journey. He's going someplace wonderful. We know from Philippians chapter, chapter uh, 1, Paul had already been to paradise. He had already been to the third heaven. He, he wasn't allowed to talk about it in detail, but he said, my personal preference is to go to be with Christ. I'd rather not stay. But for your sake, for your progress, I'll stay in the flesh. So he was ready. Then verse 7, I have fought the good fight. His whole ministry was a fight, and he fought, and it was a good fight. Don't just fight the fight, but fight the good fight. I have finished the course. See, in other passages, he's running. He said, I don't count myself to obtain. I stretch forward to what's ahead. I pursue toward the goal. I'm running. In Hebrews, run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we just keep running. Keep running our whole life. Eventually, according to the Lord's sovereign arrangement in his predestination for our life, we run and we reach the end. And if we run to the end, whenever that end is, we have overcome. And in that final moment, we know it. Then we have the assurance. I'm going in victory. I'm not going in defeat. However this looks to the world, I am departing in glorious victory because I finished the course and I have kept the faith. I, I like footnote 7.1, starting at the second sentence. A proper Christian life has three aspects. Fighting the good fight against Satan and his kingdom of darkness for the interests of God's kingdom. How about that? So Timothy's also become fighters. Uh, the next running the course for the carrying out of God's economy according to his eternal purpose and keeping the faith for participation in the divine riches in God's economy and this Paul set up an adequate pattern for us but the first one to be impressed with the pattern was Timothy Timothy closely followed Paul's teaching, conduct, whatever. No doubt this impressed him. I want to end the way Paul ended. We are with Brother Lee as the days were approaching. 
And I remember Andrew Yu testifying, I think the day after or two days after, Brother Lee went to the Lord. Andrew said, I no longer fear death. I no longer fear death. That Brother Lee was a pattern of finishing the course. And one of his last utterances that's recorded in one of those little books, he said, I, I think the Lord wants me to go. And he went. He finished. He fought the good fight. He finished the course. He kept the faith. Just as Watchman Nee did. Now, the Timothys have to be here. Brother Lee shouldn't have to fight anymore. He fought. He shouldn't have to run anymore. He ran. So we need to fight. Will we? We need to run. Will we? Well, we need to learn how to fight and even learn how to run and learn how to keep the faith. We can do it. Paul started out as the worst sinner, right? Worst sinner. He called himself the leaster of all saints. He turned the superlative into a comparative. I'm the leaster of all saints, but I received grace. I'm the chief sinner because I destroyed the church of God. And he ended up an overcomer. He said, I'm a pattern of how God takes a sinner and by grace makes him an overcomer. And you just closely follow me in all the aspects and take the way of life by grace in the Spirit and you'll have the same outcome. Verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Okay, This is not the crown of life, the crown of glory, whatever. This is the kingdom reward which the Lord, the righteous judge, will recompense me in that day. So he could go at the end realizing, on that day, I will get the crown of righteousness. I will be a co-king. And he surely will. But then he didn't stop with himself. And not only me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. So this is why I emphasized this last night. We need to look to the Lord that he would develop within us a love for his appearing, not just a love for himself. So this matter of love is really quite central. We need to be God lovers. We need to have the first love for the Lord, giving him the first place in all things. And we need to love his appearing. The genuine love that we have for the Lord is always produced by the Lord himself. And if you would like to have such a love, now, now get ready for this. I'm happy to tell you this. If you would like to have such a love, then you need to let him love you more and let him pour himself as love into your heart. We love because he first loved us and the more we let him love us the more we experience the divine love in the divine dispensing the more we will love uh, our love is always a response to what is produced in us by his love being dispensed into us and some of you you might be a little shy you may feel, okay, God is righteous and he forgives me and he's merciful to me, but you mean he personally loves me? 
Well, that's exactly what I mean. And you need to be assured of. First John says we, we know the love God has for us. You need to know that. And I can't cause you to know that. I can just kind of open the way a little bit. Somehow you're with the Lord and you just get some kind of dispensing, some kind of fellowship, and you have a deep and profound and touching realization that you are personally loved by the Son of God who gave himself up for you. And everything he does, and even what he doesn't do, is motivated by love. His heart is a heart of love. And because of this love, we're saved from the love of self, we're saved from the love of money, we're saved from the love of pleasure, we're saved from the love for our soul life. This love makes us God lovers and lovers of the good. This love produces in us the first love and the best love, which gives him the preeminence. And this love causes us to love his appearing so that we want him to appear and we, want, we love his appearing more than our graduation, more than getting married, more than having a child, more than getting a Lexus, more than anything, that we're willing for his appearing to interrupt the whole scene and change the whole world situation. We're willing for that to happen. We're willing to let the whole present age go. We'll see the contrast in Demas again in a moment. Verse 10, be diligent to come to me quickly. So, Timothys are diligent. Uh, they're not nonchalant. When, when Paul says, come quickly, then you come by every possible means. Uh, when I began to work and serve with Brother Lee in April of 1974, uh, the whole house was, had a certain understanding. Okay? My wife, the three kids, we all have a certain understanding. Whenever Brother Lee calls me, I'm gone, okay? No matter what we're doing, no matter what is happening, whenever he calls, I'm gone, okay? Understood? This is clear. It's not up to me, but when, when Brother Lee calls, and Brother Lee is not a slow person, and if he wants me to come now, that means now, uh, and, and I'm leaving. If, I, if I'm eating, if we're, if we're playing Monopoly, or whatever it is we're doing, uh, is everybody clear? I am gone. So one thing my wife and I love to do is to have the trainees at our house, especially the fourth-term trainees. We have a limited menu. It's just one dish, but it is superb lasagna. At least I, I, I boast in it. And one night, uh, it was a Lord's Day evening, and we had about 15 trainees over, and we were about to eat, and, and Brother Lee called, and he wanted some brothers to come to his house right then. He didn't say, I mean, is this convenient for you? Have you had your lasagna yet? Are, are, are the trainees there? Uh, there was another brother there, uh, one of the, the co-workers, and I just said, brother, just take care of the fellowship, and I'll come back when, whenever I can, and then I'll just blend back in with, with what you're doing. To me, this is very normal. Brother Lee's not an autocrat, but he's a leading one in the work, and he has a need and so he can say, be diligent to come to me quickly. Imagine if Paul had, oh, a Blackberry, if he had fax, if he had wireless internet, and, and, and the brothers could 
had modern transportation, they would be really on the move. Brother Lee received cables from Brother Nee saying, come right away. Well, Brother Nee realizes you can't get here in two hours. That means you drop what you're doing, you stop what you're doing, you get on the train, you get in the car, you get in the plane, and you move from where you are to wherever Paul is, and you do it diligently. Then we'll see, he says, bring certain stuff with you. And so whatever this practical stuff he needs, you bring that with you, and you be sure you get it there, and you guard it with your life, okay? For Demas, I need you. Why? Because Demas has abandoned me. It's even stronger than forsaken. Abandoned me, having loved the present age and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, why? We don't know. Titus to Dalmatia, why? We don't know. But Demas loved the present age. The overcomers loved the Lord's appearing. There's a lot of sentiment and superficial teaching concerning the Lord's appearing. I tried to point out, I might have been in message 6 of the summer training on Matthew 24, we have to consider how radical this matter is. In the coming age, there will be no money, according to Luke 16. The money system will be abolished. Well, you may not yet be into stocks, into mutual funds, or whatever it is, but is that really appealing to you? That this age ends with the entire money system. You may comfortably leave home without your American Express card in the millennium. You will not need it. It will not be honored anywhere. No more visa ads. You know, this is a drastic change of economy. No government. Some of the Berkeley radicals, anarchists, they might be very happy. No government. But they may not like uh, no government except theocracy, man. <laughs> uh, kingdom, man. Oh, I wonder who's going to get Berkeley in the millennium. <laughs> oh, boy, with a rod of iron. Okay, you Berkeley ice. <laughs> okay, the first thing we're going to do is clean up Telegraph Avenue, man. You know, uh, we're going to clean up this situation. You know, we have to have a rod of iron. Some of you are quite stubborn. Have you noticed? You know, you just go to the east. The desert is blossoming like a rose. How about we all get involved in organic gardening, okay? No more panhandling. No, no more uh, sponging off the capitalists you despise. This is for real. And all the details we don't know. But we have a picture in Genesis with Joseph. Joseph had all the food. And in order to get food, okay, you, you got to okay, you give me your money. And you give me your, your cattle. You give me your land. You give me yourself. Now I have everything. And he redistributes the people. Communists would mimic this, like in Cambodia. When the Khmer Rouge would come in, they would empty out the cities, empty out the intellectuals. If they didn't kill them, they would send them to the countryside and make them to be peasants. Same thing in the Cultural Revolution. It's a counterfeit. Well, in the kingdom, no more social classes. Because social classes are key to money, right? Everyone on the same level. And you say, oh, we want the Lord to come. Oh, you, you may not realize what this is, what this is going to mean. 
Your money's gone. You don't own anything. You think you own all of this property? Coldwell Banker, farewell. No, 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 no more you're gouging this and that. No more you know, finance company. No more mortgages. The Lord is the unique landlord. He owns the whole earth. And you may say, hey, I've got a trust deed to this. The Lord would say, I purchased the earth on the cross. It's all mine. And now I'm coming back as another angel with two feet, one on the sea and one on the land, and I'm claiming what's mine, and all of it is. Have you not read Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the inhabited earth and those who dwell therein. I am the unique land, Lord. I am the owner of heaven and earth. I own you. I own everything. I own all the resources. I own all the land. And now I'm claiming what's mine. This is now called the day of the Lord. Have you not read that in the Bible? Man's day is when man makes the judgments. Now that's all over. It's the day of the Lord. It is my time. Now I am speaking and I am making all the judgments. I'm in charge here. However, I'm not in charge alone. Look at this and look at this. I've got a huge number of co-kings and I will disperse them throughout the earth, and they will reign in oneness with me. And I'm going to be in Jerusalem. And every year, you come up to Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. How, how are you going to get there? I don't know. But I'm looking forward to seeing the Feast of Tabernacles. You don't come up, you Berkeleyites, you don't come up, you get no rain. You get no rain. And you'll have no, you'll have no way to, to go on without that. There'll be radical ecological change. The desert will be blossoming. People will live to be hundreds of years old. Oh, we, we will not need hospitals. We'll just heal everybody. It's called the power of the coming age. The devil will be bound. There'll be no war. The whole industrial military complex is dismantled. No armies. No government. I, I don't know what this is actually going to happen. Okay? This will be the most radical change the world has ever seen. To love the Lord's appearing, that means you love Him in His coming with all of that implies. But Demas, he didn't love that. He loved the present system, the present age. I like things as they are. My pleasure is now. I love this age. I don't want this age to end. I, I want my house in Carmel now. I want my condo in Malibu now. This is my time to enjoy. So I'm going to Thessalonica, one sophisticated place. I, I'm, I, I am out of here. I mean, this thing is too risky. I didn't have this in mind when I became a co-worker. I might get killed. This, Rome is not a safe place to be. Nero's about to really launch a persecution. And, and, and if I stand with Paul, they may say, are you with him? Off with my head. I am out of here. But not Timothy. But, but you, but you. But you, Timothy, I charge you, faithful child, beloved child, 
Be a God lover. Be a Bible reader. Love the Lord's appearing. Fight the good fight. Finish the course. Keep the faith. You'll get a crown of righteousness. 11. Luke alone is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. How endearing. Mark ran away at least twice. Probably he was the young man following those who had the Passover in the upper room. It could have been at his mother's house. And he followed them to the garden. Do you remember reading this? And then one of the guards, one of the soldiers tried to get him, and they grabbed his cloak, and he took off naked. He's good at running. <laughs> and then he, he goes on the first journey with Paul, and then <laughs> after the first segment of the journey, I don't know if he's seasick or homesick or heartsick or what kind of sick, but he leaves. And Paul wouldn't take him again. Barnabas favored him because of the family relationship. Paul said, he's not going with us. To he, he left us in the work. Well, we never heard of Barnabas again, but Mark ends up writing part of the Bible. So don't think your failure is the end of things. That could, may be part of the process, you know, to make you one overcoming God-man. And then Mark's, he says, take Mark and bring him with you. This time Mark is not taken off. Mark will come with Timothy. And Timothy has to be clear about Mark. He has no problem with Mark. You coward. Huh? You're going to take off again? I'm not taking him. Why are you telling me to take him? We, we know what his history is. He has got a history among us. He's the turncoat. He's the one who always goes home. He's the mama's boy that can't tough it out on the apostolic journey. There, there's none of this. Bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. The cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus, I don't know if he forgot it there or left it there uh, on purpose. Bring when you come. And the scrolls, especially the parchments. Then he gave him a warning. Alexander the coppersmith did many evil things to me. The Lord will recompense him according to his works. You also guard against him. He didn't say engage him, confront him, duke it out with him. Seek him out. Guard against him. This is very realistic. He is one powerful person. He did many evil things. He greatly opposed our words. Guard against him. Verse 16, At my first defense, no one was with me to support me, but all abandoned me. How about this? Then Paul says, may it not be counted against them. Uh, you might be there alone before Caesar. Uh, where are the brothers? Where, where are the sisters? Where, where are the elders? Where are the co-workers? Nobody's here. Then you get through it and you say, okay, I'll settle this score. You know, when, when I get out of here, when we're back in Crete, we're going to have a retreat in the Redwoods. I'm going to settle this one. That's not the spirit of an overcomer. He said, may, the, may it not be counted against them. Isn't that lovely? But the Lord stood with me and empowered me that through me the proclamation of the gospel might be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and will save me into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The Lord would deliver him from every evil work and save him into the kingdom, but the Lord would not deliver him from death. Peter was imprisoned by Herod after Herod killed James. It was not the end of Peter's course. The church prayed powerfully and dealt with the enemy and Peter was released. It was not the time for Peter to be girt about and carried to where he did not want to go. So you don't have to worry. The Lord's in charge. The Lord is sovereign, especially when the church prays. You don't have to worry. Now, if the church doesn't pray, that is a concern to me. But when I'm on my travels and when I sense within the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I know the church is praying. I can't live without it, but with it and with the supply that comes from it, there's no need to fear anything. When my course is finished, then let me go. Until then, I keep running. Maybe I'll have to run till I'm 96 or 106. I don't know. Whatever is measured out for God's economy, whatever is needed for the Lord's ministry, whatever will profit the Lord's recovery. There's a certain kind of, I would say, holy recklessness toward the future. I'm in the Lord's hands. He will guard my deposit until that day. I will guard his deposit until that day. I am not my own. I have no future. He is my future. He is on the throne. He is the sovereign. I belong to him. I abandon myself to him. On a human level, I will be practical. I will be prudent. But I'm not running scared. I'm running the race. But I'm not running scared. Then we have the beautiful ending. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Oh, this couple. This couple that meant so much to him. We need more couples like this. They're so one with the ministry and so open to the church. These two things. The church met in their house, wherever they went, and they were absolutely one with Paul. Paul said in Romans, they risked their necks for my sake. They risked their necks. They risked their lives. He said, greet them in the house of Anesiphorus mentioned in the beginning, who was not ashamed of Paul's chain. Erastus remained at Corinth. Okay, we don't know why. Could have been his own choice. Trophimus, I left at my lead, is sick. We talked about this. No miracle. Trophimus didn't decide, I mean, I'm not feeling up to it. You know, I just don't feel well today, Paul. I, I just can't go. There was fellowship. And Paul decided. Trophimus I have to leave you here. I can't stay here with you. And you can't go with me. And Trophimus is one with Paul. Okay, you make the decision. You're the one taking the lead in the work. I take your decision as from the Lord. You leave me here. I won't pity myself. I'll pray for you. And I know you have to go on. You think this is, this is easy? There's no human feeling? There's lots of human feeling. Very intimate fellowship. The Trophimus is sick. And Paul left him there. But Paul has to go on. Be diligent to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. So there's something going on in Rome. Then he ends, The Lord be with your spirit. Timothy, Remember this. 
the Lord, the pneumatic Christ, the all-inclusive Christ. He is personally with your spirit. Timothy, grace be with you. It's all grace. My grace is sufficient for you. By grace you can bear what you cannot bear. By grace you can go where you cannot go. By grace you can do what you cannot do. By grace you can be what you cannot be. By grace you can take what you cannot take. By grace you can make it. By grace you can take it. By grace you can be it. By grace you can do it. It all depends on the all-sufficient grace and the Lord with our spirit. So we end in such a sweet note, we need to have a deep realization. Uh, Paul had to go. And Paul is no more in the flesh to be with Timothy. Timothy is losing his father, his spiritual father. And Timothy still must run his course. And he must be very active in running the course. So Timothy has to realize, just as Paul could say, the Lord stood with me and empowered me. Timothy, I'm going, but the Lord will never leave you. The Lord is with your spirit. So Timothy, exercise the spirit. Fan into flame the gift of God. Grace be with you. The grace that was flowing in Paul is now transmitted to Timothy. Grace be with you. The Lord with your spirit and the grace with you will sustain you through everything to the end. Then that's it. End of the epistle. And that's Paul's last recorded word as far as we know. So, those who are becoming Timothys love the Lord, read the Bible, fight the fight, run the race, keep the faith, turn to the Spirit, and enjoy the Lord. Well, I, it's now, I think, 12.08. Uh, Dave will know when we should dismiss and go uh, have our lunch. But I think we have at least some minutes for some sharing. Uh, it would be good. And especially if you haven't spoken yet, I'm not trying to obligate you, but this is an opportunity. So why don't we have some sharing? I, I enjoy it very much.